These are the secret words which the living Jesus spoke, and which Didymus Judas Thomas wrote down. And he said, Whoever finds the interpretation of these sayings will not taste death. Hello everyone, it's Mark Bodega here. Welcome to the NT Pod, the podcast all about the New Testament and Christian origins. It's episode 62 and today we're going to be looking at the Gospel of Thomas. The Gospel of Thomas has to be one of the great fascinating pieces of, of rediscovered early Christianity. For centuries we didn't know much about it. It was completely lost and has only been rediscovered in the 20th century and only now scholars are beginning to come to terms with this extraordinary document. It's something that I'm very interested in myself. I always enjoy teaching it and I have a course here at Duke on non-canonical gospels and we always look at it there and when I teach historical Jesus we find we have to look at it a bit there. Probably the reason it captures interests of, of, of scholars so much is that out of all of the rediscovered non-canonical texts, the texts that aren't found in the New Testament, this is the one that probably has the best claim to antiquity. Some scholars even talk about it as a kind of fifth gospel. So it has huge interest to the person that's studying the historical origins of Christianity. And it's something that I think really rewards careful examination and careful reflection. The thing is that it was lost just for such a long time. I mean, we know that early Christians knew about it because they occasionally refer to it. So, so we know that that they they had a had a knowledge of a thing called the Gospel of Thomas. The the early Church Father Origen talks about it, for example, and even quotes from it. But for centuries, uh, it was lost, and and there was a dramatic rediscovery of just a few fragments of it in the late 19th and early 20th century. You might remember, I I doubt it actually, but you might remember right back in the early days of the NT pod, uh, NT pod 15, I've looked it up, I can't remember these things off the top of my head, but if you go right back to the early days of when I was recording the NT pod, I took a first look at the Gospel of Thomas. Right back then I was planning to do a series on the Gospel of Thomas and it's only now that uh, I'm finally getting around to fulfilling the promise of that earlier piece. But but back then I talked about the discovery of the Gospel of Thomas by Grenfell and Hunt, two Oxford theologians. I say discovery of the Gospel of Thomas. They didn't quite know what it was that they'd found, but they found three fragments in Greek of what turned out to be the Gospel of Thomas. And they were perplexing and fascinating because they were clearly sayings of Jesus that to some extent paralleled the New Testament and to some extent were their own individual and rather bizarre and different pieces. And in a way they these fragments posed more questions than they answered and for decades people wanted more of this extraordinary enigmatic document and quite often you don't ever get any more quite often scholars just have to do with tiny little fragmentary bits of evidence and just long for more detail 
But amazingly, in the case of the Gospel of Thomas, there was a complete or almost complete copy of it discovered in 1945. And there's a whole fascinating story to be told about how it was discovered and I'm going to reserve a future episode of the NT Pod for telling that story because that in itself is something that really rewards careful study. But um, just for the time being, all you need to know is that it was discovered in 1945 as part of a whole bunch of, of codices, of a whole bunch of ancient books that had been buried in antiquity in a jar. And the Gospel of Thomas appears in the second one of these. They, they, they were found in Nag Hammadi in Egypt, and the text is written in Coptic, sort of ancient Egyptian language. It's written in sort of quasi-Greek characters. And the Gospel itself, when you start reading it, is instantly extraordinary. Instantly you can tell that what we've got here is something quite different from what we have in the New Testament. The most curious thing of all is that this is a kind of sayings gospel. In other words, it presents Jesus as a talking head. It's not like the gospels of the New Testament. The four gospels of the New Testament, they have lots of sayings of Jesus, but they're interweaved with lots of narrative and you get sort of miracles that are mixed in with little uh, incidents and then you get sayings that kind of interweave here and there and the construction of a whole narrative that builds up towards the passion and then resurrection of Jesus. But in the Gospel of Thomas, no passion story at all, no resurrection story, no baptism of Jesus, no miracles of Jesus. It's really, really strange if you're expecting to see a gospel like the ones that you see in the New Testament, and all it is is Jesus talking. Occasionally, other people butt in and ask questions and things like that. Quite often the disciples, sometimes a specific disciple, sometimes people that we've not heard of before. But on the whole, it's linked together just by a whole bunch of examples of Jesus says, Jesus says, Jesus says, line after line after line, building up in a kind of baffling succession. And unlike the canonical Gospels, where there's a, a kind of semblance of order, the Gospel of Thomas just has this most extraordinary, apparently random order. You could get all the sayings, there's 114 of them in the Gospel of Thomas, you could stick them all in a big bag, jumble the bag around, pour them out on the table, and I think most of us wouldn't actually notice a great deal of difference. They really seem in extraordinarily random kind of build-up of one text on another, on another, on another, constant changes of gear. It really tests the concentration of the hearer to try and follow the thread as you go through. And there are some wonderfully bizarre sayings in there. Let me just illustrate some of my favourites. Jesus says, Blessed is the lion which becomes man when consumed by man, and cursed is the man whom the lion consumes, and the lion becomes man. I mean, what extraordinary uh, thing is going along there? Or consider this one. They saw a Samaritan carrying a lamb on his way to Judea. He said to his disciples, Why does that man carry the lamb around? They said to him, So that he may kill and eat it. He said to them, While it is alive, he will not eat it, but only when he has killed it and it has become a corpse. They said to him, He cannot do so otherwise. And he said to them, You too, look for a place for yourself within the repose, lest you become a corpse and be eaten. Or oh, straight after that saying, that was saying 60, this is one of my favourites too, saying 61. Jesus says, two will rest on a bed, the one will die, the other will live. Salome said to him, who are you, man, 
that you, as though from the one, have come up on my coach and eaten from my table. Jesus says to her, I am he who exists from the undivided. I was given some of the things of my father. Salome said, I am your disciple. Jesus said to her, therefore I say, if he is undivided, he will be filled with light. But if he is divided, he will be filled with darkness. But if one thought that the whole gospel was made up of this kind of thing, one would be wrong, because actually about half of the Gospel of Thomas is made up of really familiar material. So you're reading through and you see these rather strange sayings, these unfamiliar sayings to us, and then you'll see the parable of the sower and the parable of the rich fool, the parable of the wheat and the tares. You hear the story about the tribute to Caesar and aphorisms like foxes have their holes, the birds of the air have their nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head and rest. So you have an interesting mixture between familiar and unfamiliar. Interestingly enough, all of the sayings that are found in the Gospel of Thomas, which have parallels in the Gospels, are pretty much all from the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark and Luke. And it's almost exactly half and half, half new sayings, half familiar sayings. And the familiar sayings, we should say, aren't exactly the same as they're found in the Synoptic Gospels. They often have interesting little twists to them. So the famous saying about tribute to Caesar, in the Synoptic Gospels, you have Jesus saying, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and render to God what is God's. It's a very famous saying. Thomas has, render to Caesar what Caesar's, to God what's God's, and give to me what is mine. So you have an interesting little twist at the end, and that's often the way in Thomas. You'll have a, a similar sounding saying with a little Thomasine twist to it. It's interesting to ask the question, why is it that we see this kind of setup in the Gospel of Thomas? Why is it that we see this interesting mixture of apparently new material with apparently older material? And scholars aren't agreed on why this is going on there. Some would, in, would say that it's our innate canonical bias that makes us look at the synoptic stuff on the one hand and the Thomasine stuff on the other. Some would say that that's just because we're so familiar with those gospel texts that we give them a, a sort of importance which they probably shouldn't have. So maybe we should be looking at the gospel as a whole and getting some sort of feeling for what the gospel is like as a whole. But it's become a huge question in Thomas scholarship and the, and in historical Jesus scholarship and in other elements of the study of Christian origins to try and fathom out what Thomas's relation is to other early Christian texts and especially the Synoptic Gospels. The thing is, if the Gospel of Thomas could be shown to be early and independent of the Synoptic Gospels, then what we would have here is an artefact that goes right back to the first century and could inform us about the historical Jesus and Christian origins and so on. If, on the other hand, it's dependent on or familiar with the Synoptic Gospels, then it would be a slightly different kind of book and would be more interesting in telling us about how people used early Christian texts, how they reacted to them and how they reapplied them. And it might tell us a bit more about the second century and about how Christians were relating to one another in the second century and how they were interacting with different traditions about what Jesus said. So clearly this is a really important question. Did 
Thomas know these synoptic gospels or not? And it's been something that I've been fascinated about in my own research. One of the things that I've spent time working on, as some of you will know, is the interrelations amongst the gospels, specifically the synoptic gospels. So I've been working on things like, did Matthew and Luke know Mark's gospel? And in particular, did Luke know Matthew's gospel as well as Mark, in which case we can dispense with Q. So I've done lots of work thinking about these issues and reflecting on them. And while I was doing that work, I kept finding that I was fascinated by the extra questions that are raised when you bring Thomas into the equation. It's almost like changes the whole feel of the equation if you introduce Thomas into things. So I started asking myself the question a few years ago, could Thomas be familiar with the Synoptic Gospels? And it's something I've recently uh, published a book on and so I thought it might be something that would be an interesting topic in the NT pod to reflect upon to ask these questions about the relationship between Thomas and the synoptics and I'll introduce you to some of my own ideas on on this uh, topic and uh, sort of walk you f- through some of these things and I hope you'll enjoy the journey and uh, I hope that I'll be able to be back with another episode following on from this one really soon but in the meantime thanks very much for listening to this latest episode of the NT pod always good to have your company you can find me on the web of course at podacre.blogspot.com twitter.com slash goodacre facebook.com slash ntpod any of those ways is fine to get me and of course there's always the Duke University's iTunes U page which is a good place to find the ntpod too thanks again for being with me look forward to your company again soon bye bye